0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's August 30th.
0: Deaths in the United States that involve synthetic opioids like fentanyl have increased from roughly 3,000 in 2013 to more than 30,000 last year. In fact, synthetic opioids are now involved in twice as many deaths as heroin. Why is this happening? Where is the situation headed next? And what options should policymakers consider? A new RAND report out yesterday tackles all of these important questions, taking a comprehensive look at synthetic opioids. The report finds that the synthetic opioid problem is unique. Why? because it's largely driven by decisions by suppliers, rather than demand among users. In other words, drug dealers have been using synthetic opioids as a way to lower costs or to skirt drug laws, not because synthetics are newly popular among drug users. On the contrary, not only are most people who use opioids not asking for fentanyl, they would prefer to avoid it. Another key finding is that problems with synthetic opioids are likely to get worse before they get better. That's because exposure to fentanyl is currently concentrated in the eastern half of the U.S. The deadly drug could spread to untapped markets west of the Mississippi, so regions that have been spared thus far still need to be vigilant. There are a number of other findings in the report that can help improve understanding of this crisis and how to respond to it. Ultimately, the authors say that because the synthetic opioid problem is unprecedented, policymakers will likely need to pursue innovative strategies to reverse the trend. Limiting the response to existing approaches may condemn many people to early deaths. This report on fentanyl is the first major release from Opioids Uncharted. It's a RAND initiative to map the underexplored consequences of America's opioid crisis, and discover big-picture solutions. You can learn more and sign up for updates about future reports at rand.org opioidsuncharted
1: Three recent mass shootings in the U.S. happened in the span of just one week, leaving 34 dead and 53 wounded. Many citizens have called on Congress to take action to help guard against future attacks, but RAND experts say that there's no need to wait for new laws there are steps that could be taken right away, steps that are unlikely to be controversial, and that evidence shows could make a difference in preventing mass shootings and reducing the death toll when they do occur. First, the RAND experts recommend making it easier for people to report concerning behavior to law enforcement. For example, currently there's no mechanism to easily forward a threatening social media post directly to law enforcement officials. If this were to change, officials could assess whether a full investigation is warranted. Second, improved education on suspicious weapons acquisition could help. Just as there are widespread resources and classes on gun safety, there could be a greater focus on teaching people how not to sell or give guns to people who are acting suspicious. Third, more information on how to respond during an attack. Escaping or hiding is the best option. But our experts say it's also important for the public to know that if there's not a safe way to hide or escape, then they need to attack the shooter. This has been shown to save lives. And finally, modifying political rhetoric. Many assailants in mass shootings or other domestic terrorist attacks have been motivated, one way or another, by U.S. political leaders and their rhetoric. To help address this, political and opinion leaders could express their belief in the humanity and patriotism of their political opponents, and explain exactly how their supporters can take action in constructive and nonviolent ways. Like all terror attacks, mass shootings that target the public are designed to make us feel helpless. But we're not helpless. Steps like these could make a difference whether or not new legislation is passed.
0: Earlier this summer, Rand hosted an event with the nonprofit organization Girl Security to introduce teen girls to wargaming. The girls at the event acted as generals for a day, role-playing both sides of a fictional conflict on the Korean Peninsula. They played a game developed just for them by women researchers at Rand that taught them about strategy, asymmetric warfare, and the dire consequences of real-life conflict. Most importantly, the experience may have inspired the girls to become tomorrow's national security leaders. This event is part of a nationwide movement to bring more diversity to the male-dominated field of national security. Women hold barely a third of the senior executive positions at the State Department. They are much less likely than men to reach the highest pay grades in government, and of the ten congressional committees that oversee foreign policy and national security— Only one is chaired by a woman. Rance Becca Wasser, one of the analysts who designed the war game, has experienced this firsthand. Quote, there are times when I'm running a war game and I'm the only woman in the room. That's what we're trying to address here, to build a pipeline for young women to join us so that a woman analyst leading a war game is no longer a novelty.
1: In 2014, Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula and began military operations in eastern Ukraine. This prompted renewed concern about future aggression from Moscow. What would happen, for example, if Russia attacked a NATO ally in the Baltics? That's the topic of a new RAND report. The authors identify 13 factors that would affect each NATO member's decision to participate in a military response to a Russian attack. These factors fall into three main categories. Domestic politics, perceptions of Russia, and alliance politics. As an example, here's how alliance politics could affect an ally's decision. Countries that place the greatest value on NATO's continuity would be more likely to take part in military action against Russia, but countries would be less likely to respond militarily if other major NATO allies, particularly the U.S., don't participate. They'd also be less likely to respond if they perceive allies' goals as diverging from one another, or if they aren't confident in their ability to restrain other allies from unnecessarily escalating a conflict with Russia.
0: 18 years after 9-11, a new generation of terrorists may be emerging. A new Rand paper examines the potential threats and challenges that young terrorists, specifically Salafi jihadis, may pose. But first, What is Salafi jihadism? It's an ultra-conservative view of Islam that emphasizes, among other things, absolute monotheism and the rejection of alternative Islamic views. Moreover, Salafi jihadis are a group who undertakes an armed struggle to impose their ideals on their societies and on the world. Now, back to our paper. The authors found that the next generation of Salafi jihadis— known as Generation Z, or people born between 1997 and 2012, is different from previous cohorts. There are several factors that may influence this younger generation's radicalization, such as pervasive pessimism after the Arab uprisings in the early 2010s, anti-Western sentiment, high unemployment, and shifting gender dynamics. But the most notable distinction between Gen Z Salafi Jihadis and their predecessors is the group's strong familiarity with technology and the internet. Gen Z, in fact, hasn't known a world without the internet. This has profound effects on social interactions, cognition, psychological development, and worldviews. And it could foreshadow a different kind of terrorist threat, one that's more adaptive and tech-savvy.
1: Providing access to college education for incarcerated adults can help reduce recidivism in the U.S. That's according to a new RAND paper, which draws from past RAND research on correctional education. Our research found that not only can these programs help reduce recidivism, but they're also cost-effective. For every dollar invested in correctional education, taxpayers save an average of 4 to $5 in reincarceration costs. So how can more of these programs be implemented? Restoring Pell Grant eligibility for these programs could help provide some of the funding, but it wouldn't cover all the money that's needed, and so other options to ensure long-term funding should also be considered.
0: RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast.
1: We're off next week for Labor Day. We hope you enjoy the final days of summer, and we'll see you in September.